This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. COVID controversy over vaccine passports. There are lots of risks of unfair treatment. What happens when they're required for international travel? Masks become a major concern in the restart plan. There's a lot of anxiety. We have the same anxiety. Businesses worry confrontations will start when the mandate ends. And violence at the courthouse. Civil courts can be contentious. They have high emotions. An attack that could have been fatal in a place everyone should feel safe. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll have those stories in just a moment. But first, breaking news out of Vancouver. One person has been taken to hospital after a stabbing at Sunset Beach. As you can see, there's a significant police presence at the scene, along with paramedics and firefighters. Police responded to the area around 4.30 for reports of two men fighting. Witnesses tell Global News the stabbing victim tried to step in when a man was harassing a couple And that's when he was stabbed multiple times in the head and upper body. Police say his injuries don't appear to be life-threatening. He's now been taken to hospital. One man was taken into custody outside a nearby building. Police say they are still investigating a motive. Now, as an ever-growing number of people are getting their shots in B.C., one of the big challenges facing the provincial and federal governments is the creation of vaccination passports, along with rules governing their use. Yes, well, you'll likely need one to board an airplane. As Richard Zussman reports, there are still far more questions than answers about how they'll be used. In Washington State, if you want to go on a university campus this fall, you will require proof of vaccination. You are good to go, girl. You are fully vaccinated. In Israel, to go to hotels, gyms, nightclubs, movie theaters, you need to have been immunized. The question now is, will vaccine passports be coming to B.C.? There should be a cautious approach to adopting any kind of certification scheme. And so we have said that there are lots of risks of unfair treatment and unjust outcomes. Ombudspersons from across Canada releasing guidance Wednesday about vaccine passports to access public entities. From schools to hospitals, government services. The guidance is any vaccine requirement would have to be written into legislation and must have an immediate review or appeal process for someone denied access. And the ombudspersons are saying accommodations must be made for those who haven't received a vaccine. We thought it was prudent to kind of stipulate what we thought fair treatment looked like before uh, uh, these schemes were widely adopted in Canada. And I think with our our, our strong caution today, uh, there may be a number of public bodies who say it's not really uh, appropriate to do that. Where the guidance from watchdogs is lacking is for private companies. But Dr. Bonnie Henry has made her opinion clear. She's opposed to require a vaccine to attend sporting events, concerts, or for employees to go to work. It would not be my advice that we have any sort of vaccine passport within British Columbia for services in B.C. 
Where the idea of proof of vaccination is more widely supported is international travel. An Angus Reid Institute survey found 76% of Canadians support a vaccine passport to travel to the United States, with support going up to 79% for travel to anywhere else internationally. And nearly half of Canadians want the border with the United States closed until September. You also see that level of, yes, there's there's a preparedness to show that proof uh, in order to, to get on with their travel or, or, the, or the work that they want to do. As to what a travel vaccine passport may look like, the B.C. government is still working with Ottawa on that. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And the downward trend in B.C.'s COVID-19 numbers continues. We have 250 new cases today. That's the lowest daily case number since October. And that brings our total number of cases to 142,886, with 3,580 of them currently active. 296 people are in hospital, 97 of them in the ICU. Sadly, three more people have died. Keith Baldry joins us now with some new data on vaccinations and how that breaks down by age group. And we're getting younger and younger, Keith. Indeed we are, Sophie, in terms of who's getting inoculated. Believe it or not, we're going to administer our three millions dose sometime tomorrow, which is hard to believe considering we had such a slow start. And of course, older people are getting the needle more than younger people because they've been in the queue the longest. But the, graph, the take-up rate is very impressive. 80% of those over 50 have received a vaccination. 57% of those between 30 and 50 have received a vaccination. But of course, they've been in the queue for a shorter time. And this is good news. Almost half the kids age 12 to 17 are now registered and believe it or not more than 20,000 20,041 kids between the age of 20 and 17 are have already been vaccinated they've been showing up at clinics with their parents uh, most without appointments and are getting the jab so it's uh, it's good news we're in a very good position when it comes to vaccinations that's great to hear all right tomorrow keith health officials are set to address the vaccination interval that's how long mm-hmm. we wait between the shots uh it's something like four months right now but that could change yeah, it's going to change. It's going to become shorter. It started out at 16 weeks. Last week, it was dropped to 13 weeks. Tomorrow, I'm told, they're looking at about seven to nine weeks for the, the uh, interval. And it doesn't matter what vaccine we're talking about. It's going to be the same across the board. Uh, Dr. Barney Henry says it's worth it to wait a little longer than what the manufacturer is recommending uh, because you build up, it allows your body to build up uh, strength for, with your first dose. But also, we want to get that second dose uh, started. So we're going to see more second doses because so many people are going to be qualified for them when the gap uh, interval is shortened. So we expect that tomorrow at 2 o'clock. And we're also going to get an update. Some more surgeries are going to be rescheduled. You recall a bunch of elective surgeries were cancelled in Metro Vancouver because of the surge in hospitalizations. Because those numbers have gone down, those surgeries are back on schedule. We'll get that tomorrow at 2. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will be relieved about that. All right, thanks for that, Keith. Well, face masks have become a part of our everyday lives, but if all goes well come July 1st, wearing one indoors in public spaces will no longer be mandatory. That might come as a relief, but as John Waugh reports, business operators could face some tough decisions when it comes to establishing and then enforcing their own mask rules. Whether you're perusing through the store aisles or about to pay at the checkout line, everyone knows at Stong's Market, it's no mask no business. When they finally mandated masks for all indoor spaces, it made it much easier for us to manage, explain to customers, explain to staff. But a shift in the provincial health order is now slated for July 1st, moving away from a mandatory mask policy 
to a recommendation for continued use. We were kind of surprised yesterday uh, to hear that announcement of, of a July 1st date, to be quite honest with you. We haven't made any uh, decisions on the end, and it'll be kind of the wait-and-see approach. The main concern for those who first supported the mandatory mask order is that the province might be lifting it too soon. I do wish we'd waited at least until more people got their second shots. I know that's what the American CDC has done. Do not touch me! And memories of violent and verbally abusive anti-mask incidents like this. This is an empty restaurant. You guys work for tips. Have businesses worried about what might happen if they try to implement their own mandatory policies. We know that there's going to be anxiety. There's certainly been anxiety about wearing masks. So we expect that there will be anxiety the other way as well. Public health experts say without strong additional supports from the government, businesses may have no choice but to look for other options. We are seeing um, the availability of uh, uh, sort of N95 type masks that are quite protective um, for employees. So they may actually choose to protect themselves. As for Stong's market, if there's still enough concern, they're ready to make the tough call. And if we do decide this to stick to the mandatory mask because it's the best thing for our employees and our customers, we'll, we'll stand our ground on that. While the customer is always right at this point in the pandemic, businesses hope the public can just roll with whatever mask decision they make. John Hua, Global News. A notorious Metro Vancouver COVID-19 conspiracy theorist and flat earther has appeared in court again to face charges of breaking mandatory quarantine laws. And once again, Mac Parhar's antics cause no end of problems. Sheriffs were forced to arrest Parhar outside of the courthouse after he first claimed to have COVID-19 symptoms and then refused to enter the building. Once inside the prisoner's box in the courtroom, Parhar was verbally combative and aggressive with the judge. When the hearing was done, sheriffs had to remove him from the courtroom. Parhar was arrested and charged last year after bragging that he had violated the mandatory 14-day self-isolation period after returning to B.C. from a flat earther event in South Carolina. His trial date has been set for July 29th. On Tuesday, we told you about a bizarre, violent eruption in a B.C. courtroom of all places. A woman allegedly stabbed another woman, leaving her seriously injured. Now she's been charged, and there are many asking if it's time to increase security in the courthouse. Ramina Dea has the story. WorkSafe BC now investigating after a stabbing inside courtroom 32 at Supreme Court in Vancouver Tuesday morning. Civil courts can be contentious. They have high emotions and and clearly what happened yesterday didn't have to happen. According to sources, a woman walked into the courthouse with a fish knife and a hammer in her purse. A contempt of court hearing set to begin at 10 a.m. in an ongoing civil suit involving two women in their 50s who had been engaged in a verbal war on social media. It's alleged that one person stabbed another person uh, a number of times, causing serious and life-threatening injuries. A staff member at the courthouse did hit the panic alarm, which caused the sheriffs to arrive. Sheriffs were able to take custody of the person who allegedly did the, uh, the assault. Catherine Shen has been charged with aggravated assault. Jing Lu is still in hospital with serious injuries. 
if enhanced security had been provided, this incident wouldn't have occurred. The union representing court sheriffs says they've been demanding better screening for 15 years. A weapons check and security search currently not mandatory for every person entering Supreme Court in Vancouver. It's only done in certain cases. But a few blocks away at provincial court, bags are searched and the public must go through a metal detector. Tuesday's violent incident, not the first time. A person walked into New Westminster Supreme Court with a gun and took several hostages in June 1990. In November the same year, late BC Supreme Court Justice David Vickers, who was a lawyer at the time, was stabbed in court in Vancouver after he jumped in to help his client, who was being attacked in a custody case. I think it would be really dangerous to make any moves based on an incident like this. It's always my view that you don't take a single incident and develop policy on a single incident. Tuesday's incident is under review, says the deputy chief for the BC Sheriff Service. All the processes that are in place worked. Um, the, the but they didn't work yesterday. Our members attended and dealt with the situation in an in a exemplary manner. They yet de-escalated the situation as, as they attended. In the short term, we want to see immediate mandatory screening of anyone going into a courthouse. Attorney General David Eby, not available for an interview. We were not given a reason why. On Tuesday, a ministry spokesperson said the incident will be reviewed to determine what, if any, measures may be taken. In the meantime, Shen remains in custody. Her next court appearance is Friday. Romina Dea, Global News. There has been a huge seizure of guns, drugs and cash from a South Surrey home. A police investigation that began into street-level drug dealing in the Wally area led to search a search warrant being executed at a home in the 16200 block of 28th Avenue. The seizure made on May 19th included more than 16,000 in cash, more than 200 grams of fentanyl and nearly 2 kilograms of of caffeine, the cache of weapons was uh, the cache of weapons included a semi-automatic shotgun, an M4 carbine, and SKS-7 assault rifles, both with loaded magazines, a 45-caliber Colt pistol, a 9-millimeter pistol, and 32-caliber Llama pistol that was loaded. Four people associated with that residence were arrested and later released pending further investigation. The new Westminster Police Major Crimes Unit is now leading the investigation into Monday's early morning fire that destroyed a Columbia Street Heritage Building. The four businesses that were housed there were reduced to ashes. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, police are now gathering both physical evidence and surveillance and dash camera footage. This pile of rubble is all that's left of what used to be four businesses including a mainstay of the community, the Heritage Grill. Under the watchful eye of the New Westminster Fire Department, an excavator turns over the debris, and now investigators are looking for clues. The fire deemed suspicious. We're unsure what the cause is right now, but uh, we do believe the building was empty. So that being said, our, our investigators are going to be working with fire investigators to try to, try to determine a cause as to what happened. The blaze was sparked early Monday morning at the commercial building at the corner of Church and Columbia. The brick and timber building, a total loss. 
fire crews worked through the day trying to prevent flames spreading to the SkyTrain station next door. And they said 400 block. I thought right away it was ours. Ken LaBelle owns a business down the block. He says he has reported a number of deliberately set fires in the alley on Front Street. He's worried about more of the heritage buildings on Columbia going up in flames. And the fire department responds. They're doing the best they can. If a fire started in any one of these older buildings, I would hope the fire department wouldn't even go in because it's not safe. Fire investigations are quite challenging. A lot of the evidence gets burned right from the onset, so I think the fire investigators play a key role in trying to tell us what doesn't fit right and what doesn't make sense. While it's too early to draw conclusions, New West Major Crimes is looking for dash cam and CCTV footage of the area from the early hours Monday morning. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A devastating crash in Kelowna just a couple of weeks before graduation. Three high schoolers out for a late night drive never made it home. The mystery of what happened next on the News Hour. Nanaimo's TikTok sensations dancing to their own beat with a message you don't want to miss. Coming up on the News Hour. And bombshell results from a study of farmed salmon and their impact on BC's wild salmon populations. That's later. Right now, though, a Kelowna high school is trying to come to terms with an unthinkable tragedy just before graduation. Three grade 12 students from Kelowna Secondary have been killed. Global's Darian Matasafung has more on what we're learning about the accident that took their lives. Shortly after midnight, Kelowna RCMP and BC Emergency Health Services received a report of a single vehicle collision on Gordon Drive just past Cook Road. Three high school students are dead following an overnight crash in Kelowna early Wednesday. Sadly, the 18-year-old female driver, the 18-year-old male passenger and a 17-year-old female passenger were pronounced deceased at the scene. While the names of the victims have not been released, School District 23 has confirmed all three were grade 12 students at Kelowna Secondary School. First and foremost, our thoughts and uh, heart go out to the families um, who've experienced this loss. And uh, we want to offer them any kind of support that we can. The RCMP, as well as the Central Okanagan Public Schools, have sent their critical incident response teams for support for staff and students. The critical incident response team is a trained team who responds to crisis uh, critical incidents like this and uh, provides supports uh, either by listening, um, connecting people with counselors or uh, providing counseling. A witness told Global News that the vehicle was cut in half after hitting a utility pole. The pole was flattened and two of the victims were found in the remains of the car. A stretch of Gordon Road between Lexington Drive and Cook Road is closed as officers continue to investigate. Darian Matasafung, Global News, Kelowna. Up next, a rally to support those living in RV homes. Hell no, we won't go! The plan to encourage them to move along and why they say they're not going anywhere. Also tonight, a man injured by someone else's mistake says B.C.'s new no-fault insurance has some faults of its own. 
The ads for ICBC's new enhanced care auto insurance say it will lead to lower premiums and better care, but not everyone is convinced. A North Vancouver man who was hit by a drunk driver while he was on the sidewalk says he's finding more than a few faults in the no-fault system. Ted Chernecki reports. A couple of weeks ago, Scott Shepard was strolling on a sidewalk along Mountain Highway in North Vancouver. It was about 5 p.m. on a Monday. Behind him was an impaired driver losing control of his vehicle, jumping the curb and hurtling straight for him. Someone yelled. Something to the effect of, watch out, or oh my gosh. Shepard turned around, managed to jump out of the way partially, but was still sent flying. He suffered many cuts and bruises and a whopping head injury and concussion. He would be one of the first claimants under ICBC's new claim system that takes high-priced lawsuits out of the equation. Says we get a bunch more care for in a crash, plus we save roughly 20% a year. This is not care-based when I'm the one that's, it feels like it's going to be a full-time job navigating this new system and constantly having to justify and explain myself. Shepard says his claim has been a bureaucratic nightmare. He believes the sometimes called no-fault insurance is fraught with faults. He says it's a constant struggle to find out what is and isn't covered in enhanced health care. There's a lot of trickle-down expenses, secondary expenses that are going to come as a direct result of this incident. Like the trauma his young son is going through after seeing his dad in such rough shape, or a myriad of expenses that don't technically fall under health care. And the frustration of staring at a computer screen trying to file documents that for whatever reason won't send. Then it gets erased and you have to keep doing that 10, 12 times while the room is spinning and you can't You can barely focus your eyes on it. I'm supposed to be the one that's resting and recovering. Um, It's overwhelming, the paperwork that I've already seen that I have to start doing and submitting. ICBC says it can't comment on specific cases unless approved by the victim. It does say ICBC will pay any and all expenses led by the health care providers of the claimant's choice and will do so as long as it takes to get an injured victim back to his level of health prior to the injury. So far, they've received one invoice, and it is being paid. Ted Chernecki, Global News. It's eviction day for dozens of people living in RV campers in Vancouver. The city ordered them to leave the area around Slocan Street and East 12th Avenue no later than today. But the move is getting some pushback. Some residents in the area rallied tonight in support of the RV encampment. And Nitu Garcha reports. These demonstrators defending themselves against displacement. Whose streets? Our streets. Amid growing levels of solidarity with their struggle, members want the municipality to cancel its plans to evict the nearly 20 campers along East 12th Avenue and Slocan Street. To show the city that it cannot continue to criminalize poverty and to um, send the message that people are supposed to disappear into thin air. We help each other out, so we built a community for ourselves here. Satra Pio lost his job because of the pandemic and is living off of COVID relief payments, but considers himself fortunate. I can just leave and move to the next area, but I, I feel bad for the, the big RV people who can't move. Their, their truck is broken, right? I'm not going to be told that I deserve anything less than basic human rights. I think it's important to stay put here. 
So I'm making a point. Police and bylaw officers present at the site as the city told Global News preventing escalating tensions is a priority with a targeted approach based on each occupant's situation. Really, it's not even a council decision at this point. It is really just part of the bylaw process. And I think it's been, you know, through COVID and stuff, it's been uh, relaxed to some extent. But the city says it's stepping up action in this area because of neighborhood concerns and its proximity to Vantech Secondary. I think they could find a better spot than this beside a school. (laughs) It has gotten noticeably worse, not just with the RVs, like there's just junk everywhere. Like it's, you can't even really walk down here anymore. RV City is under attack! What do we do? But for protesters, shutting down rush hour traffic, the bottom line is they can't afford to go anywhere else. If the city of Vancouver enforces these laws on this community, they're telling people that Vancouver is for the rich, not the poor. And if you are a poor person, you don't belong in public, you need to disappear. All right, Neetu joins us now live with more on what happens next in this case. Neetu. That's right, Chris. Well, today, Mayor Kennedy Stewart promised that solutions to the affordability crisis are in the works. In the meantime, displaced RV owners are being offered storage and support services. But especially with this being one of seven similar encampments across the city, you can expect occupants here to continue resisting being towed until they're offered immediate housing that they can actually afford. Chris. All right. Nitu Garcha in Vancouver. Thanks, Nitu. Coming up, a deal the unvaccinated can't refuse. You could win $1 million. Incentives to get the shot and new urgency to find the origins of the COVID virus. Also tonight, smooth sailing for a yacht charter specialist who had to do a major pivot during the pandemic. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The afternoon commute is winding down quite nicely on Highway 91. East-West Connector and traffic traveling across the Alex Fraser Bridge are light and steady both directions. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide extra support for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. Vancouver construction site looked more like a water park today when a high-pressure pipe burst at the stacked development under construction on Melville Street. Water, as you can see, fired several stories into the sky, making quite the show for passers-by and a headache for the utilities crews who came out to quickly shut it off and repair it. 
An explosive new report appears to prove something the fish farm industry and the federal fisheries department have long disputed. A study by UBC, a Department of Fisheries scientist, and the Pacific Salmon Foundation has found that salmon farms are in fact responsible for bringing a dangerous virus into B.C. waters and spreading it to the wild population. Linda Aylesworth reports. Since the 1980s, when Atlantic salmon farms were first established on the B.C. coast, they've been controversial. They're farming a non-native species and there's a big concern about spillover of pathogens from farm to wild fish. Potential threats have led the Department of Fisheries and Oceans to announce the farms will be removed by 2025. The latest study, conducted by UBC, the Pacific Salmon Foundation and the DFO itself, focuses on one of those threats, PRV or Picene orthorheovirus. By the time of harvest, virtually all of the fish, all of the Atlantic salmon are infected with PRV. The study also sought to determine if the virus was being transmitted from farmed to wild salmon through the open nets. When we catch wild salmon in the ocean, we see that that they're more likely to be infected with PRV the closer they are to a salmon farm. I think this is the most definitive evidence um, available that shows that PRV is moving between farm salmon and wild salmon uh, repeatedly. The B.C. salmon farmers say it's not their fault that the virus has been in B.C. water since 1977 when it was detected in a steelhead trout. It was a weak detection which wasn't repeated and they didn't use sequencing to confirm that. Through genome sequencing, the study also determined that the virus originated in the North Atlantic, arriving here about 30 years ago. We're pretty sure with the best available evidence that we used that PRV arrived in BC around the time that open net salmon farming really took off. As for whether or not the virus is harmful, BC salmon farmers say it does not cause disease. But while it wasn't part of this study... Our most recent models, we do show that PRV is among the most consistently associated with poor survival and poor condition in Chinook and Coho salmon. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Now, in response to the report, Fisheries and Oceans Canada says it will continue to incorporate new information into its management of fish farms, which it says is risk-based and science-informed. In Health Matters tonight, the number of Americans who are fully vaccinated against COVID-19 surpassed another milestone this week, thanks in part to some clever marketing. The push for vaccinations comes as the White House increases pressure to get answers into the origins of the virus. Global's Reggie Cicchini reports. The incentives are paying off. You could win $1 million. And getting more Americans in line for a COVID vaccination. 50% of all U.S. adults are now fully protected, bringing the government closer to its 4th of July goal of 70% of adults with at least one shot. We encourage states to use their creativity to draw attention to vaccines. But the U.S. can't fully move forward without looking back. We don't know 100% what the origin is. It's imperative that we look. Scientists have run the theory of animal-to-human spread, but conspiracies were also born, suggesting the virus was man-made or bioweaponry. We don't have certainty, and there is significant evidence that this came from the laboratory. 
The Trump administration leaned heavily into that, despite vague intelligence, and the World Health Organization said a lab incident was highly unlikely, even with little access to crucial data. We need to get the data needed to really understand what happened, and if we still don't have answers, to continue looking. But now, with reports that scientists in Wuhan fell ill before cases were identified, the theory of a lab incident and a quest for answers is resurfacing. We need to fully implement and adhere to obligations under the international health regulations. China's foreign ministry disputes the claims, but isn't exactly opening the doors for investigators. The WHO is now being asked to undertake a second phase of its investigation that disease experts say could unveil crucial findings. It's not about blame. It's about the origin of this virus and being able to prevent future pandemics before they start. The Biden administration is facing criticism from Trump-era personnel for embracing a theory once balked at. But the U.S. intelligence community says confidence in a lab accident or animal-human transmission is only low or moderate. They're now tasked with pressing China for more transparency, and a report is due back in 90 days. Reggie Cicchini, Global News, Washington. Still to come on the news hour, a pair perfectly in sync. We're so grateful for this platform, that TikTok, that we can reach all these people. The Nanaimo dance duo that's becoming a TikTok sensation. And later in sports, a political heavyweight steps into the ring virtually with BC's newest mixed martial arts champion. All right, Christy Gordon joins us now with a look at weather. Just before we get there, it was kind of dicey weather-wise, but we did get a peekaboo view of a brilliant moon, didn't we? Yes, not all parts of the province. Uh, we had a fair amount of cloud, but yeah, uh, here's some images actually. One from Kamloops where they were able to see it in as well, Nanaimo. So this was a super flower moon, super meaning that it's larger because it's actually one of the full moons where the moon is actually closer to the Earth. So it looks a touch uh, larger as well as flower just because it's the full moon during the month of May. But not only that, it was a super flower blood moon because there was an eclipse and that creates uh, a reddish or orangey hue as the eclipse is occurring and it was viewed by uh, Pat Beaton in Nanaimo so thank you to everyone who shares their photos with us now. We are going to continue with cloud cover yes and we've got quite a stormy night and day tomorrow so periods of rain and the rain is going to be really heavy at times it'll come in waves and we even have a risk of thunderstorms tomorrow and look at your high 11 degrees that's 7 degrees below seasonal for this time of year. Here's the reason why and it's going to spread into the central interior southern interior regions as well and again for you it will come in waves and it will be heavy at times and you even have a risk of thunderstorms. There's the amount. So we're concerned about northern regions of Metro Vancouver, northeastern sections of Tri-Cities, uh, along the mountains and through the House Sound region, where we could see that a 40 to maybe 60 millimeters, 60 in some of those just isolated areas. Now, those of you across the north coast, lucky ones, sunshine for you. Meanwhile, it's sort of the reverse for everyone else. So cloud, showers on and off, and those showers will be heavy at times with that risk of thunderstorms. It really is just tomorrow that we we need to get through. We still have a slight chance of showers in the morning on Friday, especially for those of you in the Fraser Valley, but we really transition out of it on Friday, and there's lots to look forward to after that, as you can see here. Tonight's central windows weather window is gorgeous. This was yesterday's sunset. Thank you to Rob Anderson for that. Just before the cloud moved in and avoided or stopped us from seeing that super blood moon everywhere. Amazing. Beautiful. All right, a pair of teens in Nanaimo are showcasing their talents to a massive worldwide audience. Their dance videos garnering millions of views on TikTok. 
That's right. The performances are connecting them to their audience at a time when performing live, of course, is impossible. Kylie Stanton reports. When you're this in sync with someone, from the footwork to the fashion, it's not surprising at some point you start finishing each other's sentences. I can do a move and I'd be like, and he's, he can be like, oh no, I don't really like that. Let's do like something like this. Change it up a bit. Yeah. And, it's like, yeah, and, and then, then like, and then Carl will be like, out. oh, what about if we do it like this, but with this texture? And then we're, we just like, we like, yeah. we're like, we know it's like perfect. Yeah. Carlo Rush and Jackson Fryer started dancing together five years ago, quickly realizing they'd met their match. We just like vibed with each other, mm -hmm. like kind of our styles just connected good. The duo Funkonometry was born. We just had the same drive for it. We started doing competitions. Started to do really well, like locally. But it was on a trip to Los Angeles, the world of dance really opened up. Quite literally. World of Dance. Like a scout like was the there scou or something. They scouted us, so we yeah. were like, what? Once the shock subsided, Funkonometry took the stage. One of the first Canadian contestants to not only make it on the show, but to conquer the qualifiers, the duels, and then the cut. We made it to the third round, so we got to compete three times. Oh, you marched while you were... Like, it was a great experience, and then we were like, okay, let's... That's like, for let's sure. go hard like, from here on. But with the pandemic grinding live performances to a halt, the pair had to pivot. Yeah. Instead, posting their dances to TikTok, reaching a massive audience of more than 321,000 followers. Their videos, often featuring where they live, can have up to 2.9 million views. Now putting themselves and Nanaimo on the map. We're so grateful for this platform that we can reach all these people even during this pandemic. It's like just to bring a positive impact. It's just like, it feels so good. Yeah. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Chris and I chair dance almost in sync. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Although you're still way better at it. Those guys are great dancers, but as producer Marsha pointed out, great taste in music mm -hmm. too. Very much Really so. cool. Kicking it old school. Yeah. yeah. No kidding. A lot of those. All right. Are. All right, Squire, what you got? I'm glad you didn't say old school. You just said kicking it. Uh, the BC Lions are optimistic they could have fans when they play games this year. We're, we're not sure the exact number, but it's probably around 5,000. Remember the last time fans saw BC Lions game live or any other way was 2019. Also tonight, when her boating business ran aground in the pandemic, she found a way to rebound, inviting a lot more people to come aboard. BC's Premier is sitting down for some virtual one-on-one -on -one time with the province's newest world champion. Earlier this month, Richmond's Arjun Buller was crowned one championship mixed martial arts heavyweight champion after knocking out his opponent in the second round. On the agenda today, not only Buller's triumph in the octagon, but also his pride in being a British Columbian and how this province and his community have rallied in the face of the pandemic. We've been in over one year, we've been struggling together. Everyone has been together. This brought the team closer. The more adversity you deal with as a people, I believe we've dealt with it as a unit, as a province, as a community. So I'm a proud British Columbian, for, uh, you know, and, and I feel 
everyone can reflect on that. We struggled through this one year together, and now there's light at the end of the tunnel. So I'm just proud of everybody. And let's get to the let's get to the light at the end of the tunnel and, and get through this. Before taking up mixed martial arts, Buller wrestled for Canada in the Olympics, Commonwealth, and Pan American Games. Got a lot of people cheering for him now, that's for sure. And uh, and so does Squire for that. But he's matter. been a good friend of uh, Global for a number of years. We've mm-hmm. followed him for a while. That guy is a warrior in the best sense of the word. He's a good guy. Uh, this is the week of the old dudes. Phil Mickelson winning the... PGA Championship at the age of 50. Nobody thought anybody on the fifth floor could do that. Last night, 37-year-old Jason Spezza and 41-year-old Joe Thornton both scored for the Maple Leafs. Thornton's beard, to me, always looks like a guy from the 1800s who discovered time travel. And the slightly younger 36-year-old Jeff Carter, who's doing some sort of Benjamin Button thing ever since he was traded from the L.A. Kings to Pittsburgh. But could Carter save his new team from elimination tonight? Well, he's bouncing off checks against the Islanders, and he's scoring goals against the Islanders. The first one in game six, but the Isles would prevail. They had 65% capacity. It sounded like a full house, and they scored two quick ones after Pittsburgh took a 3-2 lead. Brock Nelson, and then 13 seconds later, Ryan Pollock. And that goal proved to be the winner. They'd add one more. Look at all the fans. And Barry Trotz and the Islanders are moving on to face Boston and Pittsburgh for the third straight year out in their first series. The CFL is not the NFL, nor Major League Baseball, the NBA, or the NHL. It needs fans in the seats to be able to play. It cannot survive on TV money alone like the aforementioned Big Four can. And it can't suffer big financial losses. So the only way they'll play in 2021 is if all nine teams can have some sort of a crowd. And for the BC Lions, they are more optimistic than ever that they can open the doors and put some seats out for people at BC Place this year. Now that COVID restrictions are starting to be lifted, the idea of a CFL season with fans inside stadiums is no longer up in the air. Come August, when the CFL begins its 14-game schedule, the Lions expect to hear the cheers of fans. It might be a small roar to start, but the plan is to turn the volume up on that crowd noise inside BC Place come September. It's a pretty big building, as as you know, and... and, uh, we're very fortunate that way. That, uh, but if we have to distance, like the existing rules are, uh, we'll. We're, we're not sure the exact number, but it's probably around five thousand to start. And then, based on the uh, the announcement yesterday from Dr. Henry and the Premier, is is that we may be able to look come September seventh for uh, sort of a full stadium or or at least uh, additional fans in the in the stands. The Lions front office met with BC Place officials on Wednesday to discuss various seating configurations. The plan is to follow all guidelines to provide a safe environment for everybody inside the stadium. But if you're a Lions season ticket holder, there's a good chance you'll be inside BC Place when the Leos play their home opener. We're in the currently talking to all our season seat holders. Um, if you can sit in pods of four sixes, you can get a lot more people in than if you have to sit in twos and, and distance. So. It's a work in progress. Um, we're uh, certainly taking the, the view that our first priority are our season seat holders. 
And uh, but we're hopeful by September that we'll be able to get uh, fans in and families in, and uh, just get an outing for for families and individuals that enjoy a game of Lions football on a great evening in BC Place. How about this? Europa League final, Man United, Villarreal, penalty kicks, everybody scored 10-10, so the goalies had to shoot on each other. Gerald Rulli of Villarreal, he beats David De Gea, so that's 11-10, then De Gea has to score, but this is the only PK that was saved. And Villarreal wins Europa League over Man United. There you go. What a hero. All right, thanks, Squire. Up next, an entrepreneur forced to chart a different course when the pandemic hit, and now it's full steam ahead. Her story next. Believe BC is brought to you by Pacific Blue Cross Small Business Health Plans. Find out more at pacificbluecross.ca. Before the pandemic, it was smooth sailing for a local indigenous entrepreneur catering to international travelers for her luxury yacht charter business. But that changed when COVID hit. To stay afloat, she had to pivot quickly. Sarah McDonald has this week's Believe BC story of survival on stormy seas. What do you do when a global pandemic hits and the borders close, when your business caters primarily to international clients? I was no longer able to welcome and create itineraries for international superyacht clients to showcase the beauty of British Columbia. My business, unfortunately, came to a complete halt. For Carrie Macbeth, who typically manages luxury yacht charters for high rollers from all over the world, that meant making a major pivot. Good afternoon. Thank you for calling Lester SBC. And a change in branding and focus to a West Coast experience, tailor-made for British Columbians on any budget, as boat sales hit record highs in 2020. What I'm doing now is actually showing people with smaller boats, with canoes, with paddle boards of how to still experience British Columbia. If you don't have a boat, it's no problem. We're going to show you ways to still have the most incredible experience along BC's coastline. How, you ask? Through virtual experiences on the company's constantly updated website, aimed at local recreational boaters and travelers, and that includes those without a way to actually get out on the water. Showcasing coastal destinations accessible by land and by car, and friendly to four-legged first mates too, with a special focus on boating with canines. But most importantly for Macbeth, a member of the Squamish Nation, is supporting Indigenous culture and communities. With over 90% of Indigenous tourism businesses forced to close their doors, I actually also saw an opportunity support to support my fellow Indigenous tourism businesses. We're going to inform the travelers about the particular community closures, responsible travel in traditional Indigenous territories, and showcasing some of the businesses that are currently welcoming visitors this season. Encouraging responsible adventuring in a way that's mutually beneficial to locally owned coastal businesses and boaters as well, with the ultimate goal of drawing international tourism and money to little-known local gems once travel restrictions.